Hey listeners, welcome to the Ad in the Leg podcast. Today we have with us a very special guest, Nishu Goel. Nishu works as a software engineer with ePilot on their micro front-end architecture. She writes TypeScript and Golang at work with a focus on the performance aspect of the code base. Nishu is one of the most passionate programmers that I've ever come across. In 2019, she authored a book called Angular Routing, and then last year she authored the JavaScript chapter for the Web Alumnac. I read the entire chapter and the depth and detailing captured in that article is unparalleled. She's also recognized as a Google developer expert for web technologies and Angular framework and as Microsoft's MVP that is most valuable professional for developer technologies. With her love for sharing what she learns, she's also a mentor at the Society of Women Engineers. You can read her writings on her blog unravelweb.dev and you can also find her on LinkedIn by the name Nishu Goel. and on twitter with the handle the nishu goel all relevant sources links and book recommendations discussed in this podcast will be mentioned in the show notes below so without further ado let's jump straight in the show hey nishu welcome to the ad and like podcast it's really great to have you here i know you have been really busy uh, in the last couple of weeks with the job change and uh, other projects that you have but thanks for taking out the time to do this that's a pleasure being here thank you for having me uh, kinshuk i hope that the session goes well yep definitely uh, we have a really interesting story lined up ahead of us so we'll we'll start with your journey first um, so you you graduated in 2018 from uh, manorachan university uh, with a uh, BTech in computer science, and then joined IBM as a front-end engineer, which I think was from your campus only, uh, right? Um, then you worked at IBM for a little less than two years, then moved to Web Data Works, which I believe is a start startup based in Ireland, um, and you transitioned as a full-stack engineer, and then you recently moved to ePilot, which is I think uh, based in Germany again as a full-stack engineer, so. we'll start with the university days so just one just was curious how was your engineering experience like like were you always very studious and then um how did ibm happen and then how was your progression from ibm to epilot right that's that's quite some well researched data correct i i worked with ibm uh, for little less than 2 years my i, I would actually start uh with my engineering journey right i think that was the first part of your question um and i wouldn't say i was very studious back then i was trying to you know uh be a person who's involved in extracurriculars as well as you know getting the um getting good grades at uh you know studies as well so i remember participating in coding competitions back at the university my first participation was in microsoft uh, imagine cup nationals i mean we went to nationals for two years straight and it was a very good experience in terms of the networks that we built there and you know also in terms of the coding exposure that you get because you uh, develop projects for competition right it's not just a side project of yours which you are uh, trying to build something or you know some something cool for someone it's actually a competitive project that you do so that was a good uh, learning experience in terms of the coding journey as well as the networks that you build on the way also 
bit on the presentation side of things because you have to pitch your idea, right? You have to pitch the code that you implemented and how it works towards a cause of a particular thing. When I say a cause, I mean, I, I'll give you one example, right? Of the project that I built when I was working for the, uh, when I was doing the Imagine Cup. So it was, it was based on the education of a girl child. And the idea was that in a game that we built, the, a girl child, which, which was the character of the game, she runs towards the education, which means she has to collect coins in the first level of the game. If she collects a certain number of coins, she goes to the next level of the game, which is a DK round, right? So this is basically uh, after earning some money, you get into the next round, which is education. So that was the idea. And I built some great contacts there, obviously, uh, for two years. I think that was the exposure towards engineering in general. Uh, back at university, we are not taught very practically in terms of yeah. how what we are going to use at indus in, in the industry, right? So my experience with the hackathons was definitely something that, uh, you know, pushed me forward towards uh, coding. Um, that was, I think, at the university. Apart from that, I, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't say that I was really studious in general. Um, I think to answer the second part of your question, which is uh, my transition from being a front-end developer to full stack at uh, the other jobs that I did. So with IBM, when I was working, my sole focus was to work on the web. I was also new into you know the industry and, and the corporate in general. So the idea was to just focus on web and learn the UI part of things, right? The building websites, building uh, reusable components, for example. We see the web today is so componentized. It's in, in form of small components. It's not like one page and you don't go from directly from one page to another, but basically from different views, right? So that's what I was doing there at UI Garage within IBM. And mm -hmm. we were doing Angular, mm -hmm. we were doing some, some other frameworks of JavaScript as well. That was the beginning, but um, this, this web space is huge now. Um, earlier, we used to say that, oh, I've done enough UI and now I can you know, directly transition into the backend, which today is not true because, there's, because web is so vast. There's performance that comes into picture. There's you know, different frameworks. You don't have to upscale yourself on the, all the frameworks but you definitely need to upskill yourself with you know, writing better JavaScript. Mm -hmm. So uh, my transition to full stack began when I actually needed it for myself, right? When I was doing, um, when I was building websites, but where does the data come from? So I didn't want to uh, be held up on any, any other sources of maybe resources, right? Or any other sources that could get me the data. So that's when my foray into learning Golang for building the backend of my application started. And um, I was earlier, like as the initial steps, I was just doing CRUD, which is the create, read, delete, update operations. I was doing that in Golang, but um, later it also, you know, uh, transitioned into writing services for my um, system in general. So I was writing ser services with Golang and that was a pretty interesting uh, step in my career, I would say, because, you know, transitioning from front end to back end is always very uh, challenging and interesting you you all of a sudden move from something that used to show you a lot of output in terms of the front end in terms of the ui to back end which doesn't really show you an output but then works great right yeah so yeah that was kind of the transition from uh, a front end based role to full stack and now at epilot i'm doing something similar um 
I'm doing micro front ends on the uh, front end side of things, which is mm. uh, using any frameworks that one likes. You are not bound to one framework. If you like Angular, you could build one particular feature in Angular, but then the other in whatever framework of your choice. On the back end, we are doing microservices. It's based on it's based around AWS, and yeah, mm. there's more to explore. Perfect, perfect. That's that's I think a great story. Um, Definitely, I understand how how difficult it is for for a front end engineer, especially in the initial phase, to to learn back end and then absorb it. Like what's happening? Because one of my really good friends is a front end engineer, and he's currently in that transition phase. So whenever we talk, he's just um, um, telling me his perils at work and you know how he's struggling with with back end. But um, I think you you manage it fairly well in a fairly short period of time, which is which is amazing. Um, one quick question, although we have uh, like a, a segment dedicated to it, but how did how did you choose Golang? Like, I think it's a fairly new uh, language or right in, in the whole backend space. So was it like your organization's choice or was it your personal choice to, to learn that? Uh, that's a very good question. So I would like to answer it in two parts. Number one, it was already being used in the organization, but we as engineers, it was in my second organization, we as engineers were never bound to using the existing technology. So we used to do our own research to decide that, uh, okay, this is a particular feature and this is how I want to write it, right? Using this particular language. So um, when I was supposed to write uh, the backend, I was, you know, I got to do my own research. And I, at that time, I remember I was struggling to uh, choose between Python or Golang or Rust, right? Okay. Now with Rust, um, that's not an easy language to start with. Mm. And also when you're starting your first backend project. So, uh, and I know it's great for memory management, but I think that was not uh, the you know, the language for me at that point of time. Mm. With Python, Python is good for writing small scripts that I understood at that point. And I was write, already writing a lot of scripts, you know, to, to scrape websites, for example, uh, using Python. But for mm. a project that uh, where a lot of memory uh, leaks could be possible, right? That's mm. where I think I decided to choose uh, Golang. Also, because I was already exploring that as a side hustle and, you know, I had some background in Golang as a language. So mm -hmm. decided to go with that. And um, about your question where it gets difficult to transition from front end to full stack. Um, I would say it's always better when you're coming from front end space to uh, the back end, because that's when you understand how you know, the perspective of a front-end developer. You understand that if the data is presented in this particular format, it's going to be best used by the front-end developer. You understand? Because yeah. if the data is presented in a way which is most presentable, that's the best thing. As a back-end developer, I can send a string of data, right? Which might not be very uh, easily, you know, parsed by the developer or who's working on the front-end. So yeah, it's always a good combination if you're coming from the front end space into the back end. Great, great. No, I think that's a great perspective uh, to to look at in a way that, yeah, it's definitely better coming from a front end developer to a back end developer. It, it really opens up that world of, uh, I I always say that behind the scenes part of it, and uh, you can always explore what's happening and where where the data pipelines and where you're getting the data from. 
So that's great. And I think another thing which we just came to our mind is that um, um, a sort of a unique difference between, you know, working for a huge, like large big tech organizations and the like comparatively smaller or medium sized players is that a lot of time for, you know, these big organizations, the language is already being used will directly or indirectly pushed to you. Like you have to learn this. Um, but as you said, you know, in, in small, medium-sized organizations, you like the developers have a choice to pivot to, to a newer language, a newer framework, which might be better or more suitable, uh, for the project. Um, because I, uh, when I talk to friends of mine who are in the same space and they're working, let's say for a client, uh, for a very large organization, they, they don't have a choice really to choose, uh, really, you know, to like do things from scratch they like a project is going on that, and they have to learn that particular framework or language for that. Um, so it, it kind of limits your exploratory abilities and learning as well. So I think uh, you got lucky and you, that you, you're working with an organization who, who really values, you know, the coder's choice of the language and you were able to pick what, uh, what was the best for the project and for you as well to learn. So that's, I think a great thing. Um, if you could also share an experience, you know, how was it like pivoting from IBM to, um, you know, definitely a small or medium-sized organization? Right. Um, I think at first to add to what you said about, uh, you know, the flexibility of choosing your own uh, technology, this is actually fair because when you're working in a larger organization, a lot of it depends on, you know, the legacy systems. A lot of it depends on the number of people who are working. So, for example, you decide to choose Golang all of a sudden, and there are 100 other people who are, you know, dependent on that. They can't upskill themselves. Maybe you are faster at upskilling yourself in a particular language. Maybe the other people are not, right? So it, it creates a difficult environment, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to get into that. What about your existing? what if your existing code base is written in a language which cannot interact very easily with Golang as the new interface, right? So all of those factors come into place when you're working in a larger organization and that that's totally fair, right? If you're working in a smaller organization, there's only a few people. The other engineer might, you can, you know, they can decide themselves if they want to upskill themselves in the other technology that's chosen or not. And also there are not many legacy systems, right? Which you have to, uh, think of when deciding a technology so the the choice and the environment depends a lot on that yeah yeah so you you felt that when you pivoted from uh, IBM to um, like probably uh, I think web data works right where you you were more open to to I think test with certain languages and you know decide what's best for a project um, actually, it's an interesting question because even at IBM, I didn't feel that reason is I was working with UI garage at IBM, right? And it, okay. it was a garage kind of a setup wherein, again, there's like very few people you're working on small duration projects and you get mm -hmm. to decide, oh, this is the client who's, who's requiring this particular thing to be built in, right? And you get to decide uh, that this is, this technology, you know, will take me, okay, three months 
uh, or maybe you know this requires a learning curve and i might need some learning on the job and this might mm-hmm. take more time so you decide to not choose that technology so at ui garage that was uh, the case we got to choose our own technology but i uh, i can imagine if it's not like a setup like this where there are you know code bases of a particular client from before you might not get the choice uh, definitely because obviously there are a lot of people uh, depending on that lot of other code bases existing code bases depending on that but yeah i think yeah you can you can say i was lucky in in that regards that i got to choose uh, my own technology even when i was working with ibm but yeah that really helps you know us in our career and even if it doesn't we always have our side hustle time right where we are hustling yeah. and learning the technology that we like definitely that's that's a great way to put it uh, and yeah definitely you have you had like those great experiences within uh, ibm as well it was kind of a mini startup with a larger company from what i can understand so that's great cool that's exactly um, how i would have liked to put it yeah nice um cool moving ahead uh, so i when i was you know preparing for this podcast i was going through your linkedin and uh, i was going through a blog as well uh, unravelweb.dev which you quote as your digital garden i think it's a really nice name for a blog uh, i was going through the posts and everything so y- y- i think the space is mainly uh, you you put a lot of your technology research articles out there and then you also pen down your thoughts so i think it's a mix of uh, both um and then um you also wrote a book on angular which i saw on the on your blog um so that's that's great um uh and then i think your recent most significant work was with the web almanac um i i read it in while preparing for this podcast it was after a really long time i read something which was that tech heavy because i'm not really into tech now um but i i i could i like 90% of it was just going through my head but i could gather what the 10% of of the story so i think it's basically a primer on how javascript has evolved through the years although uh, you 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 will be able to better define that um but i think uh, nevertheless was great research heavy piece um uh which which i could Uh, gather from the the entire uh, article um so just wanted to get like i was curious about a couple of things when i was reading it so um w- one is like a macro question in which um so through throughout your entire coding journey right when did you realize that you know you just wa- don't want to be at the consumer end of the code which i say um but also you want to com- contribute to the larger community so the way i see it is that um you know i think 80% of the entire community is is a consumer on stack overflow but the rest 20% really contributes with the articles and contributes to the solutions so when did you decide to you know be that unique 20% group um and the second question would be you know around the web lm nax so it, it's kind of a research heavy article so how did that idea came along and then how, how was your process how much time do you take to you know gather all that data points and put your story uh, with the lm uh, lm nax yeah 
yeah, I might forget all the questions that were uh, in, in cool. you know, included. No, we'll, we'll go step by step. So the first one is like, when did you decide to be, you know, a contributor to the community rather than just a consumer to the coding community? Right. Um, I see you've done a lot of research and a lot of stalking my profiles, right? Which is great. Um, um, the digital garden thing, I, I like to put it that way because um, it's it's like a creative uh, representation of uh, something uh, a bit boring that might sound to others, but maybe, you know, for some people, it doesn't sound boring at all. So yeah, to answer your question about um, being on the, not being on the consumer side, but also on the, you know, content creator side. So it, I would say it, it was not like a realization really, right? That I felt that, oh, I should contribute to the community. Oh, I've learned a lot. Now I should go back and give back to the community. I don't think I, I've felt like that. It's just been uh, a few years of me being in the industry and it would be too early to say that, oh, now I feel, feel that, oh, I should give back to the community, right? Um, it's not that, I think it's it, it goes in parallel with, uh, for in, especially in my case, it goes in parallel with when I'm learning and the first blog post that I wrote was with the similar thought that, um, you know, I'm learning this. What if I forget that at a later stage? Why, how about I just pen it down and, you know, come back to it when, when maybe I've forgotten it or maybe when I need it again. So writing blog posts started with that thought in mind, right? It was always for my reference. And also if um, other people get, you know, helped with that. So it started like that, but then it transitioned into people actually being helped out of the blog post that I was writing. Mm -hmm. And then that that's when the realization or the motivation comes into picture and you feel that, oh, you should continue this because this is actually helping people, not two, not three, but many people, many developers, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's where the motivation came in. And, and I would say in, in the beginning, it didn't really start like a motivation. It was just a process. It was just a practice or an effort, daily effort that you do, right? As as a, an engineer or a regular hard worker, I would say. I, I didn't try to call myself hard worker, but you get the idea, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think that's how it began. Then later it transitioned into more types of content creation with open source activities, with, you know, speaking opportunities that I started getting out of as a result of the blog post. So a lot of people also think that, you know, speaking opportunities are a, an achievement, right? Which I, I really think it's not. It's just an outcome of the hard work that we have done in terms of the content that we have created. It yeah. could be written yeah. content. It could be the code content that we've provided. So, yeah. I think I have answered the first part of your question, which is, yeah. you know, not not being on only on the consumer side. Also, uh, there's this interesting thing that you said, right? That 80% people are the consumers, whereas only 20% 20, 20 are developers. I think there's this overlap of people who are 50% uh, consumers and 50%, you know, the producers as well. So I think I would like to put myself in that category. I explore a lot of blog, you know, the bugs that I come across and uh, look up for the information. Hey, has anybody solved that before? Maybe somebody tries, you know, could help me with this bug that I'm struggling with for uh, half an hour or more. So yeah, that's the consumer side of me. But then on the producer end, when, I'm, when I put my creative hat on and I decide to write a blog post or decide to solve some bugs uh, somewhere, some issues existing, yeah. So that's about being the producer on the other end. What was Great. your second question again? Yeah, so the second question was uh, around web and Laminac. So uh, it was 
from what I could gather, it was a very research heavy article. Um, so I just wanted to gather your thoughts, like how did that idea came along and then how was your process behind doing all that research around JavaScript and then how much time it took um, with, with that? So if you can just take us through that journey. Sure. Um, and it has a story behind it. I'll, I'll start with that. I was working towards the performance of my application that I was building at work. Right. And it, um, we, we were done with building the basic MVP, uh, which was required. But then after that, there's this stage in your uh, development journey, right, where you decide to work on refactoring the code and increasing the performance of your existing code base. That's what I was doing back in, I think that was around May 2021 when I was um, uh, working towards the performance of my application and I was exploring a lot of stuff, right? And that's when I came across this um, issue on the HTTP archive repository, GitHub repository. It was looking for JavaScript authors, right? The idea of the web almanac is that it's a annual report which states the statistics around the features of a particular tech being used or not. Basically how the web is evolving over the years, what are the features that's which are you know leveraged well? Which are the features which are not being used very well? What are the stats of that? How many people are using a particular feature correctly? How many people are using a particular feature maybe wrong and not leveraging you know the performance benefit that they could get out of it? So yeah, that was the idea, and I I thought that this totally aligns with my aligned with my current interest back in you know May 2021, and I. Now, I think I would say that it was a very good idea that I chose to do it because, you know, you also get a lot of learning, if not uh, just, you know, giving out the data, you also learn in the whole process. So, yeah, I decided to contribute as one of the authors to the JavaScript chapter, but it actually turned out that I was the only JavaScript chapter of the, I mean, only author of the JavaScript chapter of mm -hmm. Web Almanac 2021. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you about how the process was, right? And this is very interesting to somebody um, who uh, is looking for something similar. Yeah. It, it started with a lot of research around how you wanted to, how you want to build your chapter. I will take the reference of the JavaScript chapter because that's what I was working on. So the first, the very first step, step involved, um, you know, preparing the outline, which involved exploring the newer features added to JavaScript, or, or if not newer, quite some recent features, and then looking for the stats around that. How many people have been using it? Is some feature being not picked up at all? Is some feature very well picked up and adopted? Right. So uh, that was the outline part of it. The next step was uh, looking for what you want to get out of the data. We were, mm -hmm. we scraped 8 million websites and they were scraped like every month for the data mm -hmm. that we were looking for. Right. So it was from, I think, starting August when the scrape started. Uh, or no, it actually started before, but it finished in August. And then okay. um, we got the data from those 8 million websites. The second so step was writing those, custom uh, You scrapped those websites just for this uh, project uh, article? Yes. So the wow. websites were scraped okay. as a part of the project for 24 chapters of Web Almanac, not one chapter. Okay. Yeah. So those many web websites were scraped for the data that we were looking for. It could be the response bodies of a website's initial page load. It's only the initial page load, but not the whole website, obviously. 
um and also that was the first response that we got out of it out of the scrape and also the other information that we were looking for which could be um you know only received by the custom metrics that we have written in the javascript code so for example a page has loaded and you want to run some code on that loaded page to uh, you know find out for example how many tags are used dynamically not in the initial page but dynamically which is when the page has loaded and that's when the um, elements get added this is a bit technical and i think only the people who are working with javascript might be able to understand this but yeah mm -hmm. the idea was to you know get the data out of those 8 million websites something that's already there in the initial page load and something that gets dynamically added and you get that through the code mm -hmm. that was the second step which got us a lot of data right we had uh, we felt like we had a lot of power in our hand now to explore that data and and analyze that the third step was actually writing sql queries it was actually big query that we were using um big query is another sql language that we were using to get the data uh, in our format that we needed and then use it for our analysis so i remember uh, i i can give two three examples right so if you're working with javascript you would know that there's a script element which uses attributes like async and defer they have their own purposes but the idea is to uh, better perform with our you know requests that we make in in the browser so we uh, looked for the usage of async and defer attributes what's better we also looked for the usage of if any browser or website allows differential loading if there are two bundles created out of the content right out of the out of the javascript bundle that's created in the browser so yeah such things were uh, uh, you know analyzed as a part of the process uh, the whole process that we did in web almanac i think it was december 1 when we finally launched uh, the whole written content which was actually uh, writing the whole content was the fourth step after the analysis of the whole data and the writing part was the toughest i would say because you know uh, that's when where all your ideas were thought actually came into picture right when you're actually writing about anything that you thought of so yeah that was the most difficult part of it but yeah december 1 was the launch date when when it finally went live and a long chapter that you you know was written with all that data from it 8 million websites and it was not one chapter but 24 chapters you know going live and everybody the whole community getting excited not just javascript there was other things like performance pwa which is progressive web components so things like that yeah awesome yeah um when when you were narrating this i was uh it was just running in the back of my mind like how much intense that process might have been uh scraping all these sites then collecting data analyzing that data then making sense of it i think some real hard work which was very much evident in uh the whole um uh, alumnac right with with all the data points that you gathered and then all the analysis that you did uh the story around it that you that you framed i think it was it was great um um very who's a i think it'll be it'll be great to read for somebody who's a die hard javascript coder or a fan so really really great work there um something which also came to my mind earlier when uh when we were talking about the stack overflows thing right um so i'm not sure if you've heard this is a guy on twitter noal ravikant i'm not sure if you follow him or not but i have read his book also oh nice the elemenac yeah, of the elemenac of neil ravikant yeah. yep 
yeah i i i sort of follow him a lot with with his tweets and podcasts and everything um so he said this one really good thing uh uh probably in, in his book or podcast i'm not sure but the the good thing about technology is that you have to solve a problem only once right so any kind of uh problem that you're getting while coding you, you have to solve that once and put it on stack overflow and the whole community can get um can get the solution of that problem from there right so and that is so true yeah so th- that's that that is exactly what what fascinates about me on technology like one thing builds on top of another mostly um right so you have these packages you have these uh sdks and you just put them plug them in build on top of that customize it and then you ship it so uh i think i think that's that's really fascinating uh, about about technology so like with your alumni right so somebody who who really wants to know what's what's the current performance of javascript they can actually refer that and then they can move forward with with the project so exactly that, that and really, yeah and i think that's the power of open source right back uh, back in the days when everybody was writing code everybody was solving problems but it was their own code base right private code bases and that 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 wasn't that was still helpful because people would still post bugs that they were getting but it, in terms of you know a solution people were not getting much benefit and now with open source evolving so much you see uh, your your comment about one thing building on top of another validates so much because there's so much code out there for example i saw recently zomato open source one of an, another project of theirs right which is very interesting i saw recently um, i think it was uh, airbnb's code is like you know a lot of it is open source but recently they uh, open sourced one more project of theirs which is so good for uh, engineers and you know budding engineers who are looking for tough code to explore right code base mm-hmm. they don't have a commitment that they have to work towards it they can just look at it it might be overwhelming in the beginning but then you start getting a sense of the whole code base later on yep yep yeah that's that's the awesome part about working in in tech um great um this this brings us to you know the next part of the discussion uh i was really curious with so what you have learned in the past about code and mostly front end full stack development how do you see uh the space evolving in the future um in a sense that so there's lot lot of things that are happening like in the micro level as well but in the macro level as well uh with with regards to you know web3 metaverse coming into picture and and so i think all these uh technologies would be front end heavy uh, right you you need a, a kick ass front end sort of to really make them um uh you know really make them robust to the user because it'll be like 100% digital right so 100% immersive and and stuff like that so how do you uh i i think you did a talk recently which is around web3 so how do you see your kind of uh work evolving in the future with regards to you know languages frameworks libraries what is technically the bed, next big thing uh yeah interesting question i've been asked this question a lot actually and i think um with every new interesting thing that comes up we start thinking about the existing things and their presence and their existing uh, nature right and how they would evolve in the future but i think that doesn't really apply to the existing things if they they are purposeful and you know if they have like a strong 
long way to go. For example, people are talking about Web 2 being gone with Web 3, but there's so much right now in on the web in the JavaScript community in general right now that is still to explore. For example, sometime back, we didn't really think of something like, uh, for example, HTTP3 protocol coming in, right? But that did and made everything so fast in the browser. We didn't really think of servers coming within browser. I mean, uh, to run any project, we need to install node on our system currently, right? And then with node installed on our system, that's when we run the server and a website gets live and runs in our local. We don't need to do that now, right? That's a recent web container thing that has been introduced, which lets you run node inside your browser. So there are things like this and many more things which could be done in the browser. There's web assembly now, right? Which lets us run JavaScript uh, and other languages in the browser. So I think with a lot of things that still are to be explored and you know, there's always one thing that comes up uh, after another thing. Uh, the existing thing is not definitely not going anywhere. And mm -hmm. I am not really sure if I have any comment on web three, but that is again, a, a place, a, you know, an area still to explore. A lot of things are coming in there, but yeah, the existing space is definitely not going anywhere. We would still need a lot of websites. We would still need a lot of engineering in general, right? It's not just about front end or back end. It's about engineering in general. It's about solving problems in general. And I'm sure that's definitely not going anywhere. Great. No, that's a, that's a good way to look at it. Uh, I, I, I am also a firm believer of the fact that, you know, with, with all these latest things coming in, I think the web 2.0 per se is here to stay uh, for a long, long time. I think web three um, could, would be a, probably could be a bigger market. Uh, but I think the, I mean, the web, I think they'll coexist probably in, in the future. And then a lot of web two technologies would first would be used probably to build web three and then you know as as the tech world evolves every second there'll be new technologies new frameworks probably dedicated to web three and stuff like that but yeah. i think that's and, a great way yeah yeah and i have something fact-based here to mention right so when i was working on web almanac uh now we see that uh, with a lot of frameworks coming in we start, suddenly start feeling that oh angular is gone this is the new framework that people are adopting that's not the case you know uh, when i was working in, uh, for the web almanac and we were looking at the data from 8 million websites only 20% of framework websites were using frameworks all of the other ones were still using um, cdns right wordpress shopify such platforms so with the framework uh, era which is for a while now, I think more than 10 years, around 10 years for sure, right? Uh, with this much time, with the frameworks that we have, we still have only 20% websites that are, you know, in fact, adopting frameworks. So you see the adoption rate is very slow. And when, when you look at the larger uh, population, the larger code bases or database in general, you realize that we are only looking at the high level, you know, the 1%, the maximum 5 to 10% of the industry. We forget to look about the legacy code bases which are there, you know, for, for the 80%, for example, 80% um, of the data of the websites which are using WordPress still. I mean, you would think, why would they still use WordPress? They can just get, get engineers and, you know, get them to code in Angular on React or any other framework it just and just get into the latest new things, right? So that's the adoption rate is very slow. 
Yeah, definitely. I think I think one of the reasons could be that the pull, the ease of use thing that they have, right, uh, is is really what was the users or or creators to to build these. Uh, um, right. Right. Like, I think that twenty percent who those who use frameworks are really you know those tech heavy websites who are really have customizations built in. Um, but I think for the general web, I think uh, WordPress serves uh, uh, the purpose really, really well. Um, and I think I was exploring it quite recently uh, about, I was really curious about that, the no code or low code wave that that's going in. Um, so I was, I was a bit curious, I was reading around it. What do you think about that? Uh, is it like a pivot to the current framework that we have or like, where does it fit into the picture? So I think I would like to put it in another category where people, you know, do not want to get into the hassle of uh, hiring people to do something of, you know, trying to customize thing themselves, things themselves. So no code, low code solution is for them who are just looking for putting up some, something live, you know, with some information that's, for example, uh, a regular intro website, right, which does not definitely does not require a tech heavy framework, they, they would just want to go with WordPress for that, right. And I've seen organizations with engineers with great engineers do that, just go for WordPress for such a similar simple thing. But then when you know that there's a lot of need for customization, where you know that the existing, um, you know, for example, the boilerplate code, which is there is not going to help them because they need to customize, they want to be flexible within the with the, with the thing that they're building with interesting, for example, styles and animations that they want in their website. I think that's when the no code, low code solution kind of, you know, uh, backfires. And then that's where the need for flexibility comes into picture for customization comes into picture. And you need to get us right engineers yeah definitely yeah there's a um so this friend of mine who's a front-end dev i was talking about right we we have these heated discussions that um like i i sometimes joke that you know the low code no code thing would take over in traditional development and he's like no it will never happen i we have these jokes around that so definitely i think i think that's a subset of what a solution which probably requires less effort and you can ship uh, really basic stuff fairly, fairly early, but definitely the real tech uh, is, is what will drive the future, right? With, with all these new things coming up. So yeah. yeah, and with such a vast industry, we we can never say if something new can replace the existing one, right? They, they can yeah. always coexist. Like half of the population can can go for yes. no code, low code solution, but then there's a lot of other engineers and industry which you know wants to customize things. So it's always going to coexist. Yeah, definitely, definitely, a hundred percent agree on that. Um, Cool. So this brings us to the next uh, part. Basically, I was I was really curious because uh, a lot of listenership of this podcast are really young folks. So um, I, I thought it would be great to ask you this. So if you have any advice for somebody who's either getting into front-end development or somebody who's transitioning from front-end to full stack, uh, what would it be? And then if you have any tips like great resources, books, methodologies they, they can follow to make that transition or make their knowledge uh, base stronger. I think uh, if you can share that, that'll be great. 
Sure. Um, I think uh, about the the question about transitioning from uh, front end to full stack. I think the the mindset should be on solving problems. You know, eventually it should just be about engineering things and trying to get the work done at first. Not about learning a particular language and you know trying to upskill ourselves in that because. Um, it comes as uh, as a part of the process when you're learning something when you're trying to do something and you have to figure out how to get it done that's when you learn right it's it's not like um, you spend uh, i mean you obviously have to spend time on learning but what i'm trying to say here is that uh, a language is not your goal you know your goal is to solve the problem right give out a solution and that can be based with anything that you liked uh, one language that you liked in the process one language that helped you in the process or one language that was the requirement of the organization right so um, that part depends on that but on the second part of your question where um, there could be some of the books i think um, the books that i would say uh, mention will also be very general which focus on you know better code practices which i'm still following and i still like to follow one is clean code obviously and a lot of engineers um, it's not obvious actually because uh, a lot of the listeners you know will be new to this so it's not obvious to them i said that this is obvious because um, we as engineers are always surrounded by such books when we are trying to write the code better write it performant and write it you know write actually clean code so that's one then there's another one which is um, uh, called a pro the pro pragmatic programmer right and this mm -hmm. talks about the daily uh, coding in the engineering struggles where you know there's for example problems like when you, when you're failing uh, in implementing something you try to put the blame on some some of the other things like i I'll, I'll tell you one of the uh, things that i do when i'm not getting you know i'm not getting the uh, focus that i need for my work i would start blaming the environment for that and that is never true because if i want to get the work done if i want to keep the focus i will get the focus and get it done right because all my focus will be on the problem but then if i'm quite distracted due to some things i would start blaming the environment oh this light is extra oh maybe this desk is not good oh maybe i should sh you know shift to the other room and that might help so yeah such engineering problems are also mentioned in the book the pragmatic programmer and i think you would love that read uh, if there are engineers listening to this and um there could be there's another book which is called ai 2041 this is um this is a fiction you know this is written in form of fiction but then uh, it it focuses it it talks about um the ai aspect in the mm -hmm. later years right how how ai could impact our general lifestyle and the, the daily things that we do in the year 2041 so that as well could be an interesting thing. Uh, if you could link those in the description, Kinshuk, that would be great because, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, know these definitely. Those are really good suggestions. Uh, I'll link those in the description um, later. Uh, AI uh, 241, I think I'll pick that up because I'm, I was looking for some good um, book recommendations on science fiction and stuff like that. Uh, I've been reading a lot of self-help lately and I think I, I've, I've become tired of that. So it'll definitely be a good change of taste. Uh, I'll definitely pick that up. Um, that's, just, that's, just, yeah. Just this another one that I would like to highlight since you mentioned self-help books. Uh, there's this great book, which is not code related in general, but it's called Deep Work. And it really, uh, you know, focuses on your, uh, the, the working habits. I mean, in, 
especially with covid coming in right we all yeah. all of us start working in shallow environments right there's there's deep work and then there's shallow work i'll i'll try to just put it in a very uh, just right just format where the book talks about that there's deep work and shallow work and all of us are in general 80% of the time working with the shallow format right where we have we might have phone on our phone on one side our family on the other side maybe some interesting video that's running on the other side right and then there's deep work where you're disconnected with everything but just the problem in your head and the solution for that and i think there's only 5 to 10% of our work that we do like that if you use more than more than that percentage you're doing great already but if you're not uh, we are all working in shallow environments especially with the phones which we are always connected to yeah. right the book yeah. also highlights an example of the harry potter uh, book that was uh, that uh, the author was writing right she was not able to spend time on the writing of the on i think the sixth part and she was very frustrated because she was yeah, not yeah. getting time due to the family and what she decided she, to do she booked the hotel i think exactly yeah. so she moved to a hotel to write that chapter to get the deep work uh, you know mindset so great, yeah that's interesting read as well yeah i think i just remembered i i have read i i'm not sure if i've read the book completely but i've read that story somewhere that's a great story and i think deep work is is a great book as well A lot of folks have recommended that, so definitely, definitely a great book. Um, um, I'll I'll link all these in the description so that anyone who who's who really wanna get get hands on them, they can get it on Amazon or anywhere else. Um, great. So um, this this kind of wraps up the tech heavy discussion, but I reserved you know the last uh, last part. to some you know really fun light hearted questions um um so we'll keep all the tech jargons aside and you know let's have some fun um uh, with the discussion mm-hmm. so um I-, i want to start with your hobbies so i know with with all this work that you do it it really gets stressful at times and then so just want to know like you know when you're not sitting in uh, in front of a computer coding or writing what do you do you know to just reset yourself and you know uh to you know really calm your mind after a, a really long day of work i when when i was really uh, again preparing for this podcast i was going through your twitter um i was not stalking but really preparing for the podcast so i saw that you know you you have some short videos where you are uh, playing your piano so is is that something you do like are you a professional piano player or is it something that you do as a hobby uh right so i'll i'll talk about my hobbies first uh, i usually love books right and it could be in the form of writing books or reading books not fiction mostly tech related but uh yeah i would either write books or read books in my free time mostly read i am still a very much a consumer on the the you know books side reading side but yeah i could also i also prefer reading some writing sometimes um that's basically what i do when i'm not coding or in front of the computer apart from that i recently started uh you know playing the piano when i say recent it means like i think a year now uh, and i'm not a professional uh, keyboard player but yeah i i learned some good uh, techniques on the piano there's an arpeggio format that i've learned and yeah i i re- really enjoy that doing that great no i i was 
uh, so you, I think you, the video that you put out was Beethoven's symphony and that was, I think, great. It sounded really good. Um, yeah, that's, so. that's one of my favorite pieces because I think I perfect, you know, tried to perfect that one the most. I spent the most time on the Fur Elise by Beethoven. So, and, and there are some Hindi songs as well, which I tried playing. Awesome. So, yeah, but um, those are the, you know, the hobbies. I, I was not much related to music before that, except for the piano that I now love. Great, great. So uh, it was like self-taught or online lessons, uh, in-person lessons? How was it? How did you learn? I actually took home classes for that in person. Okay. Yeah, it's always better, you know, as compared to the online version of it, because a lot of things just come in impromptu, right? When you're learning, when in person. Yeah, no, I think that's that's great. That's a great hobby. Uh, I used to I used to uh, play piano and guitar as a kid. Didn't really pursue it um, much later, but yeah, I think I, it was fun. Um, so something related to this. So do you have like a routine or a mindfulness practice uh, which you do like every day, uh, like sports, yoga, meditation, anything that that keeps you sane? Actually not. I'm really a bad example for this. Do not follow me. I have a really bad, uh, you know, uh, discipline and routine. I, I cannot even call it a routine. Um, so I would wake up, start, open my laptop and, you know, sit all day and then sleep with the laptop on my side. So definitely not going to share more on this because I'm not the right example. But I've tried, uh, you know, yoga actually when i was working with ibm uh, i try i used to go for boxing classes and i did yeah. for three to four months but then all, all my relatives started complaining that you're getting skinnier and, and, and decided to stop <laughs> so yeah. Uh, but yeah i've never been able to continue any discipline or or you know routine that i've tried to follow okay okay cool that's that's pretty okay i mean and unless you're not stressing out yourself too much i think uh, that's fine but i think uh, i i recently uh, i think it was mostly during the pandemic and everything else i started experimenting with meditation yoga um uh, and i i still don't follow it regularly but i i do it a couple of times a week and i think it has it is transformational to to the way it you know changes and relaxes your mind um so you have to do it consistently for a period of time then you you realize that uh, you know some yeah. some sort of positive changes are happening so really love that although you know i won't i would miss it one day and do it the other day no not a regular routine which i really want to make but it's it's good um and i i go i think every day i go for a walk either in the morning or the evening which which is you know therapeutic to me um really absorbing some sun outdoors uh, and looking at the nature which is really great so some something if you want to try you know just just take like a 30 minute break from your coding session and then just go for a walk downstairs i think it's it's great as well um yeah. awesome so um, we talked about books a lot. My next question was around books as well, but you already recommended a lot. Do you, uh, I, I'll reframe this question in a sense that, so what's the current book that you're reading and what's, what's the book which is on your bedside table currently? Uh, actually two of them. Uh, so 
there's one that I've already highlighted, which is AI 2041 that I'm currently okay. reading. I'm on the third chapter and uh, it's really, really interesting. The The recent chapter that I read is called Twin Sparrows and it's about two kids who have their own, you know, bot with them, a physical bot. So they're mm. talking about AI in the year 2041, right? So now they can, uh, kids can have bots with them who will, you know, uh, prepare the curriculum for them, who will prepare that, you know, this is what their daily schedule should look like. So very interesting. There's there's one boy who, you know, makes good use of the bot, but then the other boy who doesn't make very good use of the bot, AI bot that he has. So yeah, that's one. The other one is based on, um, you know, it's towards the, uh, it's it's the story of uh, Myanmar, uh, a country, and it's called My Myanmar Years. It's not related to coding. It's not fiction. It's the story of that country. It, basically, it's uh, Myanmar's relations with India. Awesome. Awesome. That seems to be a nice read. So do you generally like pick a, like a, fiction like a tech and non-tech book every time you're reading is it something you try to balance with i try to yeah but like most of my reads are non-tech i mean if it's a physical book they're mostly mm. fiction or uh you know self-help books sometimes but then yeah some some great books which are tech technical and are you know recommended i read those as well but yeah there are very few as compared to the number uh, of you know the fiction books Okay. On the topics of books, just just curious. So the habit of reading, you are an avid reader, as you mentioned. So did you pick up pick this habit up when you were fairly young? Or is it something that you acquired recently, like after growing up? Um, I think it was during the university years when I started reading, because I remember in school, I was not uh, a reader at all. It was during university when I started. And in the early years of my you know uh, work like i remember in the year 2020 i read 34 books in the year right wow. 34 which was a great number i felt and in 2021 it was not even 15 so mm. that's how it okay. drops when you're working on you know projects so yeah i think i i cannot call myself an avid reader now and my focus also has you know reduced a lot in reading i get distracted by a lot of things but yeah the the number I like to keep around 30 or more for my books of year. Awesome. 30 is quite a lot. Um, I mean, I think you're a, you're a fairly quick reader. I, 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 I used to read when I was, when I was a kid, but then I stopped it somehow, picked it up again during my university days, just like you. But um, what I realized is that I'm, I'm a pretty slow reader, slow reader compared to, you know, the general people. I, I take my own time with the books. I would uh, read, read, read and reread books until I gather most of the subject and probably take, would take, you know, three or four weeks to uh, go through a book. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think you have a great speed. So that's, that's. No, awesome. but I think, but I think I would like to really commend you on that because being a slow reader is actually very good. You know, you gather information, you keep it with you. Um, and being a fast reader is good with the books that are supposed to be read like a fast, you know, fast yeah. reader. But then there are books which demand, uh, you know, rereading them. For example, AI 2021 is 2041 is a book which demands reading it very slowly. And I've, I'm only on the third chapter right now. It's been um, more than three months that I've ha had this book that, that I got it. But yeah, 
it's it's also a bit like a textbook right which mm. becomes boring at some points when when the the fiction part is gone so it it can get difficult that at that stage awesome. and being a slow reader really needs patience which is great yeah i mean the reason what i feel i am a slow reader is because i i think i'm a distracted reader in a sense that um so I, uh, currently i'm reading i'm reading two books uh, one is atomic habits by james clear got enough recommendations for that so that i finally had to dig in um the second one is around product management something which i'm really curious about uh, so what what will happen is that if i get, like throughout the book if i'm if there's a mention of certain framework which really uh, uh i'm really curious about i would go you know i i would just search that framework on google and read more about it so you know a lot of distractions keep on happening and then you realize that you are just off the book you're uh, reading mm-hmm. something else some other article so that that really slows me down so i've really tried to you know keep myself centered around the book really uh, i i would like to take i would take notes or just highlight it and you know refer to them at a later stage so so that i can read a bit quicker um but yeah uh, I- there is one thing that i would like to highlight which is uh, i think i was a great uh, you know focused reader until the point when i was reading physical books and then i remember in 2020 end or 2021 beginning i started reading books on the computer or the phone and that's when my you know reading habit really uh, got screwed up because uh, then i was a distracted reader because of the notifications or just switching tabs on the on the computer right so yeah, yeah that i i would always switch tabs or applications when i was reading on computer so i think uh, switching to physical books from ebooks is a great idea if you're not able to you know uh, becoming uh, not able to become a avid reader or just being distracted yeah no that's that's a great suggestion my kind of reading is split 50 50 between uh, the kindle on an ipad and then physical books so uh, but yeah i i have I was hundred percent Kindle at some point of time, which was really distracting. But I'm now coming back to physical books, so that's that's a great suggestion. Um, cool. So this brings us to the last question uh, for the podcast. But I'll I have a bonus question, uh, which uh, which I also would like to ask. So the last question which I had already prepared was um, this is something which I'm experimenting with, picked up from another podcast. Um, uh so i won't take credit for it but i really like the question so i would like to ask you that so um when you are old and you know you look back on your life what do you think would matter the most to you okay yeah that's quite an interesting question and i would have to think a bit to answer this um so w- when i get old and look back on my life what is the thing that matters the most to me um i think i have a very straightforward answer to this which is um that if i was kind to people during the whole process you know the whole journey or not because and i'll i'll tell you why i think like that right um if it's related to the work and if the work mattered the most to me i would like to see the purpose of it you know how many lives it impacted 
So if it's directly connected to that cause, then that would definitely matter to me. But ultimately, that also, uh, you know, depends on my me being kind in the whole process. So that's the work side of it. On the fun side, when when you're having fun, when you're enjoying your life, even then, you know, you the thing that comes back to your mind is how many people were happy in your presence, right? Mm-hmm. How many people uh, didn't feel like they are, you know, maybe low as compared to you or or were they intimidated by you if they were did you do something about it were you kind enough to were you welcoming enough to you know allow people be happy and just be them in your presence so i i also read this thing recently which where somebody said that if in your presence somebody has to change the way they talk or change the way they behave change the way they are in general then you failed as a person because yeah. if you your presence demanded somebody to change somebody's behavior or you know just just basic just them to change then you were not right some you were wrong somewhere so yeah i think that would matter the most to me great great uh, that's 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 a really beautiful note uh, so technically how many lives did you light up during your journey is is what i think you're trying to convey which is actually a great notion um awesome so this is this one is a bonus question um so because we were talking before the podcast and uh, you mentioned that you'll be moving to germany with your new job very soon so my question is that what is something that you down the line miss uh from like this from india being being there at germany what do you think now would you you'll miss the most um okay so i i was just thinking about the whole thing right when you were actually asking the question i, I instead of focusing on your question i was already thinking about the answer which yeah. we already do always do uh so i think the the very special thing about india is that people here are very cordial right they are very friendly and we uh, we miss out on this when we are outside india when we are abroad i and i'm not trying to generalize this but that's the basic notion that in india people are very friendly they're very helpful sometimes they're not but that's again about generalizing it uh, so i think that's what i i miss the most uh, which is those those connections that you develop on the roads right i i went for a community fellowship in jharkhand and i think that's the best connections that i've uh, built in the in all the things that i've done not at work not anywhere but that in that village where i was working towards the goals that i was supposed to do so i don't think i would get to do something like that again in in any other country that i go to those connections you know yeah so yeah. i think that's that's what i miss the most um, and i think i would always want to come back to that particular thing definitely i would always want to come back to how you know people are you know quite um, reserved in themselves especially in the villages in india and you would know this mm-hmm. right in villages when they, when there are people reserved but then they, they see someone as an example they see someone who's vocal and you know expressive mm-hmm. about their thoughts and ideas and then the people in the villages the women especially they try to open up looking at that and you know they try to um, block you know and kind of break those windows and see the uh, world outside so yeah i think that's what really matters to me and i think i would want to come back to that awesome that's that's great and and probably food right when I mean, food is something that you 
I mean, if you're a foodie, you're not sure, uh, but food is something which I, whenever I'm traveling outside, it is something I really look back to because uh, I, I think, you know, the flavors and in India and everything else um, is, is just unmatched. But yeah, definitely, you know, uh, the warmth that people have here is, yeah. is definitely unparalleled and uh, hard to find. But but we like I really hope that you find the same warmth and the same culture and same experiences out there as well. So uh, we'll wrap this up here. It was a great discussion, uh, Nishu. Thanks for taking all the time to do this, and I really wish you all the best for your journey ahead. Um, uh, and let's stay in touch. Uh, definitely, when you come next time on the show, you'll be in Germany doing some amazing stuff. So great. Best of luck for that. Thank you so much. I really love to be here and, you know, answer all the interesting and casual questions that you had. I would really want to come back to this and, you know, answer more questions or ask you some more questions. We really spent way less time asking you questions, but just answering whatever you had on your plate. So, yeah, thank you very much for having me here. Um, please share my Twitter handle in, in the description if, if people would like to connect because there I'm sure people would have a lot more questions that um, by listening to the podcast. And I would like to clarify those if they have. Definitely. So, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll add your Twitter, the link to your blog and all, all of that we discussed in the podcast as show notes. So that'd be great for anyone to... Uh, looking to reach out to you or learn more from you yep great. great thank you so much for having me here all right hey listeners thank you for tuning into at intellect if you have any thoughts feedback or suggestion about this episode or the podcast in general feel free to drop a note on at intellect at the rate gmail.com that is intellect at the rate gmail.com. Until next time, peace.